0: Well, if you have your Bibles, if you'll find them and open them up to isaiah chapter or not sorry, not isaiah ezekiel chapter thirty six today we're in the series for Christmas time that we've been calling looking forward and what we're doing is we are looking at some of the Old Testament passages that awaited or looked to the birth of Christ, and then we are making connections between that old testament passage and a New Testament passage. And so we'll be in Ezekiel 36 today, and then we will be in John chapter 1. I remember whenever I was a child, the agonizing wait that you would have for Christmas, and it just seemed like it took forever for Christmas to get here. And whenever you're a little kid, Society just teases you everywhere. I mean, it's like everywhere, that, everywhere you go, everything's decorated for Christmas, and everybody's talking about Christmas, and it's like, uh, ha, 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 Christmas is coming, but it's not here today. And so as a child, it just makes the wait seem like it's longer and longer and longer. And then whenever you get to be an adult... It seems like Christmas comes too fast because you have so much to do and not enough time to do it, and you're trying to make sure that you get this done and this done and this covered. Go to this party and this party, and it just seems like it's it, it just comes so quickly, and it's just a very very busy time of life. Uh, confession time, and this doesn't leave this room, okay? Other than the fact that it's on the podcast that the entire world can hear, but beyond that, how many of you have ever found a hidden present at Christmas time? Anybody ever found a present that was hidden for you? Uh, I have, uh, Stacy and I actually share an Amazon.com account with each other. And so uh, a couple of, uh, yeah, you know, makes Christmas, e- uh, this, this part of the message is brought to you by Amazon. but uh, So makes Christmas shopping, I think they're kind of pagan, so I don't know if they really need to sponsor the message. But anyway, I need to get back on track. But So a couple of years ago, she was um, ordering me a Christmas present. Well, it gives you like all these email alerts whenever the presents has been shipped and all this. So like all my presents, I'm like seeing, they're tracking, you know, they're like being tracked to me. And I keep getting these emails and texts that these presents are coming and it tells what it is. And so it's like, okay, well, I guess I know what I'm getting for, what, getting for Christmas. You know, the waiting game that's a part of Christmas, it, it can drive you crazy. It can make you do crazy things. And waiting is actually a big part of the Christmas story. People waited for the birth of Christ. They waited for the coming of the Messiah. For centuries, they waited. And when Jesus was born, it was the ending of a long, long season of waiting. Ezekiel lived in a time period where people had very little hope. If you study Israel's history, you'll remember that they were conquered by the Babylonians. And so Ezekiel lived in a time where the Babylonians ruled the Palestine area. The Jews were, many of them, in exile. Those that remained were very poor. And as a nation, they were in a season where they were subject to the Babylonians. Now, what was worse is that the Israelites, the Jewish people, had brought this on themselves. They had been disobedient to God. They had not followed his commands. They had not honored God. And as the result, the Lord allowed the nation to be brought into this season of slavery. And so there was very little hope, very little joy. And the prophet Ezekiel begins receiving vision from the Lord, and he looks forward to happier days when God would restore the hearts of his people. And so look with me to Ezekiel 36 and verse 24, the prophecy of Ezekiel reads, For I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and will bring you into your own land. And I will also sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. And I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols. Now look at verse 24 again because Israel, uh, Israel is mentioned here. The Bible says, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and will bring you into your own land. How many of you know the names of your great-grandparents? Okay. How many of you know the names of your great-great-grandparents? Okay, I see some of you have genealogy.com accounts, right? Uh, But not many people in our society today can go back very many generations and name their grandparents. What happens is life kind of moves on and we uh, pass away and very shortly afterwards people don't even remember our name. So you can imagine a world where there were not a lot of genealogy records, where it was very difficult to find out who your grandparents were or your great-great-grandparents and you didn't have some of the ability to track these things down. In ancient days, whenever a nation was conquered, they would often take the people and they would disperse them. Sometimes they would move other people into your area, and so you'd begin to intermarry with these individuals, and it didn't take very long at all for your national identity to be completely gone. Think about all the different ites that are in the Bible, the Amalekites and the Moabites and the Hittites and the Jebusites and all of this. Do you ever hear those people mentioned on the modern news? Today, the Amalekites fought the Hittite. You don't hear that anymore. Why? Because they're gone. Over over time, uh, they were conquered and they were dispersed, and eventually they lost their identity as a people, and you don't really even hear about these ancient groups of people that were prominent during the time of uh, ancient Israel. But now what's amazing about Israel is after being taken into exile, Israel maintained their national identity. And eventually they were able to return to the homeland and build another temple, and the Lord was born uh, in Israel. And we know that Israel once again found itself back in its homeland. Even more amazingly, as the centuries passed, the Jewish people once again were dispersed around the world. And, of course, we've studied about the uh, unthinkable holocaust of World War II, how millions of Jewish people were killed during those years by Hitler. But still, the Jewish people maintained an identity, and shortly after World War II, through the work of the United States, the United Nations, they were once again given a homeland. This is absolutely a miracle in and of itself that Israel still exists. And yet, we see in Ezekiel 36 that as they are dispersed in exile, Ezekiel reminds them that God will bring them from all the countries and once again bring them into their own land. In verse 25, he mentions that uh, God will sprinkle clean water on you. Now, he's not talking about baptism here, he's not saying that they're going to be sprinkled by the Catholic priest. He's talking about ceremonial washing. You see, Israel had done things that was wicked in the eyes of the Lord. And in in Jewish practice, whenever you had sinned, whenever you were ceremonially defiled you would cleanse yourself with the sprinkling of the water so that your heart might be right with God and so Ezekiel says God is going to cleanse you and make you pure again in his sights and then we get to verse 26 I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you I will remove your heart of stone and give you A heart of flesh. What would you mean about someone if you were to say, they have a heart of stone? What would you be saying about someone if you said, they have a heart of stone? Well, a heart of stone is cold. We used to have concrete floors whenever we lived in Denison, Texas. And so we, they looked pretty good, and we thought they'd be a great idea. Uh, but one of the things that we discovered about concrete floors is that they are naturally cold. Now, this is great in the summer because your floor is a little bit cold. So you can go barefoot around the house, and your feet stay cool. But it is horrible in the winter. <laughs> I mean, your house is cold in the winter because stone is by nature cold. Now, you can build a fire. And whenever you build a fire, it might heat that stone up. But when the fire is gone, the stone will naturally want to be cold because it doesn't want to hold heat within it. The heart of stone is cold towards God, towards other people. One that has a heart of stone might attend a funeral service, They might attend a Christmas service, and the gospel comes near, and they feel their heart warmed for a moment, but they don't open their heart towards the Word of God. Instead, they continue to push away, and so as soon as they leave the presence of the fire and the gospel is no longer right in front of them, the stone returns to its normal state and once again grows cold. The heart of stone needs God to do something that is supernatural. Not only is a heart of stone cold, but a heart of stone is hard. It's very difficult to penetrate. If you've ever fired a gun, then you can appreciate the power that is in a firearm. Whenever that hammer strikes the primer and the bullet is forced through the chamber, there is an amazing amount of force that is in that bullet, and you feel it in your hands. A bullet can go through your car. It can go through a sofa. It can penetrate your windshield. A bullet can go right through the sheetrock in your home. A bullet can go through eight iPads. It can go through five laptops. Yes, I saw a test of it, okay? A bullet can go through 220 layers of cardboard, 50 pounds of ice. The bullet goes right through it. But if you shoot a gun at a big rock, the bullet will bounce right off. And so it is with a heart of stone. Pride and selfishness. Harden the heart of stone. Often God tries to get your attention. It may be through a layoff, a sickness in your life, a sickness in your family. Perhaps you experience some type of injustice or you're troubled by the darkness in the world around you. And you see a lot of people that are going in directions that are opposite of God, and this troubles you. Perhaps it's even the death of someone that you love dearly. But whenever you have a heart of stone, none of this penetrates. None of this reaches the depths of your soul because somewhere through the course of time, pride and selfishness have hardened you so that the truths of God hit you and they just bounce off. You need God to do something supernatural. A heart of stone is dead. You ever talk to somebody, and it's like talking to a brick wall? A heart of stone? Well, the heart of stone has already made up its mind. It's unteachable. It no longer feels emotion. In fact, the heart of stone is rather numb to feeling. It just kind of wanders through life. You remember that feather from Forrest Gump that just kind of flew in the wind? Well, whenever you have the heart of stone, you just kind of go through life. You don't really feel deeply. You don't really connect deeply. You just kind of become an island to yourself. The dead heart of stone doesn't pass on life. In fact, it shares disease. Instead of encouraging people, instead of uplifting people, instead of bringing joy and new life to others, the heart of stone just continues to spread the injustice and darkness that is around us. The stench of the heart of stone drives people away, and eventually the lid closes on the heart of stone. Family and friends say their goodbyes and they leave, and there you are, isolated and lonely, and the heart of stone fades away, And very few people really remember the impact that you had on the world. It's like throwing a stone into the water. The ripples are seen momentarily, and then they fade. You need God to do something supernaturally. And so Ezekiel says, I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. As Ezekiel looks forward to the coming of Christ and what Jesus would do for us, he says that one of the things Jesus is going to do is remove that heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. Now, here's another question for you. How long does a heart of human flesh last? I'd rather have the heart of flesh than a heart of stone, but how long does a heart of human flesh la- last Well, flesh ages. My son is 10 months old. Last January, he was born. Whenever he was born, he was just a little guy. And in 10 months, he's managed to grow four teeth. In 10 months, he's managed to, like, double his size. And in 10 months, he's army crawling, and and he looks differently than he did just 10 months ago. I mean, every single day in his life, I see that flesh ages. And I'll refrain from too much comment, but as we look at ourselves in the mirror, we discover flesh ages. Not only does flesh age, but flesh fails. Over time, flesh becomes weaker. I, uh, I tried to lift one of those old school TVs. Not, not the little HD kind that'll like, you know, feather light. Remember those old, the, the ones you still have in your living room? This is 830 service, right? Okay, well, You still pro- you, you probably still have one, don't you? I mean, I had one until this week, okay? I, and uh, my kids knew nothing different. Now they've discovered something. Anyway, but, it, but I tried to lift this TV. And when I was in my 20s, I remember lifting the same TV. I would just pick it up and carry it wherever I needed to. So I go down and I'm like, Stacy, can you help me here? And of course Stacy came in, picked it up and took it wherever it needed to go. You know, uh, don't mess with her. She holds babies in her arms all day long. She's like stout. But anyway, uh, so together we managed to carry it out. But I, I discovered, you know, <laughs> flesh begins to fail. We we get older, we we get a little bit weaker. And eventually, we don't we don't like to think about this, but eventually it's going to happen to all of us. Flesh dies. There's not a month that goes by that I don't hear about somebody that I know that has passed away. So a heart of human flesh is better than a heart of stone, but a heart of flesh has a lifespan. In that lifespan, it can laugh, it can have friends, it can make money, it can graduate, it can achieve, it can give, it can experience love, it can have fun in life, but in the end, the heart of flesh is lacking. And it too needs God to do something that is supernatural. So, looking forward, we come to John chapter 1, and we have one of the most classic verses in all the Bible. John chapter 1, and verse 14 says, The Word became flesh. The Word became flesh and took up residence among us. And we observed His glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, if you read the verses earlier, you discover that the passage of Scripture that we're talking about here begins with, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And all things were created by Him, without Him Nothing that has been created was ultimately everything goes back to the Word. And then we have in verse 14, the Word became flesh. So what we discover is that the Creator of everything, the God who made you, the God who made me, The God who made the majesty of the mountains. The God who made the beauty of the sunrise. The God who sustains everything and creates everything. The God who spoke the universe into existence through His Word. That God, the Word, became flesh. Jesus, the Son of God, the one who has been, is, and always will be became man the god man he took on flesh and not only did he take on flesh but he took a bethlehem zip zip code the bible says that he resided among us he lived his life here on earth in flesh his flesh just like our flesh aged the baby became a man his flesh just like our flesh died. And his heart of flesh ceased to beat. His flesh was laid on a cold, hard stone. And a larger stone was rolled in front, signifying that he had taken residence now in a house of death. But you know the story. Three days later, it's sunrise. And Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, they arrived at the tomb to anoint his body. And in Mark chapter 16 and verse 4, the Bible says, looking up, they observed that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. You see, we needed God to do something in our lives that is supernatural. We needed him to put within us a heart that is supernatural in its quality, not a heart of stone, not merely a heart of human flesh, but we needed a supernatural heart. And so the Word became flesh, and the Word overcame the temporary nature of the flesh. And the Word brought forgiveness and eternal life to the doorstep of your heart. Because Christ died for all, and the message of the gospel comes near, and the light of the gospel shines into the darkness of our world and into the darkness of each of our lives. And when you open the door of your heart, to Christ, something miraculous happens. He removes the heart of stone and he replaces it with a heart of flesh. Not a temporary heart of flesh destined for a cold and lonely collision with death, but a heart of spiritual flesh destined for God's eternal purpose. A purpose that was imagined for your life before your heart ever had its first beat. Ezekiel 36 and verse 27 says, I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. So Ezekiel says one day the Messiah will come and when the Messiah comes, He will restore you to your nation and to your homeland, and you will be at home with God. And one day when the Messiah comes, He will take away your heart of stone, and He will replace it with a heart of flesh. And it's not just any kind of flesh, it's an eternal flesh that lives forever. And I will place my spirit within you. And my spirit will cause you, enable you, allow you to obey my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. You see, when God gives you a heart of flesh, he also places his Holy Spirit within you. And when the Holy Spirit is within you, life changes. You begin to see yourself differently. You start seeing others differently you see the world around you differently. When the Holy Spirit is within you, you love God. You love the one and others that are within your life. And you love others that you don't even know. You love people that live in different cultures and different parts of the world as we see at Old Town Christmas. You love people that have never heard the gospel And you desire that they too can have the gospel come near so that they might experience the joy of their heart being transformed by the Lord. When the Holy Spirit is within you, your heart is no longer cold. When the Holy Spirit is within you, your heart is no longer hard. When the Holy Spirit is within you, your heart is no longer dead. When the Holy Spirit is within you, the Bible describes us as hearing the statutes of the Lord, the ways of the Lord, and instead of pushing away from them, instead of rebelling against the ways of the Lord, instead of turning that volume down and pretending as if we do not hear and living our life with this exaggerated version of ourselves, suddenly we understand who who we are in comparison to God, and suddenly the statutes of the Lord begin to make sense. And no longer do we run from God's ways. Instead, we carefully observe His wishes in every area of our lives. Because the Holy Spirit within us allows us to live a life that brings glory to our Creator. When the Holy Spirit is within you, life is within you. It's not a hoarded life, but it's a life that you want to share. You have the joy of Christmas. When the Holy Spirit is within you, Christmas is not a day off from work and some good food and some parties and some nice football and hopefully some good presents. But when the Holy Spirit is within you, the joy of Christmas is found when the heart of Christmas exists within you. When the Holy Spirit is within you. God removes the heart of stone, and He places within you a heart of flesh. I was a teenage boy whenever my father came running into the living room. My dad's not an over-emotional or over-exuberant sort of of fellow, but that night I could see that there was intensity within him. He said, Bob just called, and he said, it's on for tonight. And then dad said, i got to go to the hospital. He took out the door. You see, Bob was a member in our church, and he had been living with a failing heart. He had had medicines and surgeries and lifestyle changes, but they were no longer working. He had reached a point where he needed a transplant. Now, mind you, this was the 80s, and heart transplants were very rare. They were also very dangerous. And so I remember Dad going to Baylor Medical Center in Dallas to be there with Bob and his family. And I remember praying that evening for Bob. The days ahead were a little bit nervous because they had to wait to see if his body would receive the new heart. And so we were praying for Bob and praying that he would be given this wonderful gift. And it was a happy day when the doctors said his body's receiving the new heart. It's working, it's beating, it's, it's doing well. It looks like he'll be okay. I remember as a church family on Sunday morning, we all just celebrated. And when Bob came back to church, everybody, everybody was so excited to see him and they were so happy that, that God had given him a new lease on life. And for several years, he lived with a young man's heart beating within his body. And he enjoyed those extra years. He was able to welcome grandchildren into this world, love his wife, be a part of his church, be a part of his community, live his life with purpose. But you know, eventually, even his second heart of flesh failed, and he died. But that's not the end of his story. You see, his story is connected to the Christmas story. And his story is connected to the reality that the Word became flesh, and the Word rolled the stone away, and the Word replaced his spiritual heart of stone with a spiritual heart of flesh. And Bob is still alive. And we live with a hope, a real hope, that one day his family will see him again. One day. There will be no more pain. One day there will be no more death. One day there will be no more suffering. You say, Lash. Why doesn't God do something about all this pain and suffering and death? God has done something about all this pain, suffering, and death. He sent His Son. God is doing something about all this pain, suffering, and death. He's transforming hearts. And God will do something about all this pain, suffering, and death. He will once again restore the shalom of creation at His second coming. And whenever we die and leave this earth, we go to be with God forever. And we live in a real place called heaven. God is transforming this world, and He's transforming people. But He's not doing it through mere behavior modification. He's doing it through heart transformation. The heart of flesh. It's the heart of Christmas. The Word became flesh. The Word overcame the stone of death. And the Word replaced your heart of stone and gave you a heart of flesh. Would you be so kind as to bow your heads with me, please, as we come to a time of commitment? I want to ask you to look inside your heart at this moment. And I want to ask you to ask yourself a very real question. Do you have the heart of Christmas? Have you ever opened your heart to Jesus Christ and trusted in Him as your Lord and Savior? If there's never been that time in your life, I want to invite you to make this your moment. We call it your moment of salvation. It's your moment when you surrender to God, you trust in Him and His ways, and you trust in Christ as Savior. So, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, I invite you to quietly call out to God, and you may pray something like this God, I have done things that are wrong. I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. This morning I'm trusting in Jesus Christ as my Lord, as my Savior. Trusting that He has done for me what I could never do. And I pray that You might replace my heart of stone with a heart of eternal flesh. May I know You, walk with You, and serve you in this life. And may I have a hope that lasts forever. May this be my day of salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. With your head still bowed again, please, before we look up, I just want to ask this question. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way, but if today is your day of salvation, I won't call you out. I won't embarrass you. I just want to know so I can pray for you and encourage you. If today is your day of salvation, would you just look up at me and allow me to make eye contact with you? Today is your day. I'd love to baptize you. I'd love to be a pastor to you. And help you know what it means to be a follower of Christ. Because God can do a new work in you that changes everything outside of you. I thank God for you. Let's stand together as a church. We're going to sing this hymn. Follow the Lord however He leads. I'll be here at the front. If I can pray with you or help you, it's my joy to do so.